going to pray, and so what I'm going to ask someone to do at each table, it's just him talking about just being an encouragement and just the blessing of a church family that we have. I'm just going to ask um, if it's just there's be someone, one brave person at the table, uh, just to uh, just to pray for our church, pray for each family that is um, there for a moment, just before I share uh, just one more thing that God, uh, for us, let's just pray for each other, um, and then pray, so just one person, and uh, the beauty of praying and hearing all the different noises is knowing that God hears all of them. He, he understands every, every uh, syllable. And so let's just pray for each other. So I'm just going to open it up. The one brave person step up and pray for your table, and uh, then we'll continue. Thank you. If you aren't done, finish. Well, what, one of the nice things about gathering and why we always enjoy starting out the year with the pancake breakfast all these years is and hearing the testimonies, getting to see each other, um, and talking to which you don't always get to do just on a normal Sunday, um, but it's an encouragement. And this is why I think Jesus was all about meals with people. But what we wanted to do today, and it's already happened through meeting, eating, hearing Scarlett's testimony about how God's worked, hearing Tim's uh, story and how God's worked in his life. And Psalm 145 says this, Oh, the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. What I love about hearing people's testimonies and at the beginning of a year is to remind us just to keep looking back and tracing all the providences of God, how he works. If you forget to look to see how God's been working, uh, you're going to miss what God's, the picture and the story he's been painting um, in your life. So that's why it's good to start the year like this. Oh, the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. Let me pray for a second. Heavenly Father, thanks for our church, or thanks for how you've worked in people's lives and how you are working. Lord, just thanks for your goodness to us, how that you plan our steps. And so God, help us to see that and to be encouraged by that and just to trust you more through this year. I pray that right now, Lord, just as we just hear another story and hear about you for a moment, you just calm us, encourage us, and just give us your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. I was golfing this summer, and I'm a terrible golfer, with a couple guys, and I was, as I was golfing, we started the golf round, and one of the guys said, uh, hey, Paul, here's your, here, we're going we're to set some goals, because he'd golfed with me a few times, and it was bad. So he's like, here's, this, here's a few goals for you. We're going to try to make it through this round without losing any balls. You know? so, and I'm like, okay, that's like a good goal. So I, first tee, he goes, you started up. I, I can do that. First, I tee up in the first hole. I swing. Like literally three minutes after he said that, bing, right off this pole building, way off the side of the uh, course. It was a complete, a complete gaff. I mean, it was just, and that was the rest of my summer golfing experiences. We talk about gaffs a lot when it comes to presidential gaffs, either trying to walk up steps to Air Force One or any other um, situation that people have. We, we just talk about these different gaffs and mess ups and struggles. And, but I want to just encourage us with a, a gaff idea, which is when you think about God, the three most common affirmations concerning who God says he is and what he's like in scripture 
You might think, well, it's his sovereignty, it's his holiness. He wants us to see how powerful he is. But if we look at scripture, and this was pointed out to me a couple months ago, and it was encouraging. If you look to see how does God affirm himself, what are the, what are the most common affirmations that God gives about himself in the Bible? And it is that God is good, that God is able, and that God is faithful. Gaff. God is good, able, and he's faithful. Those are the three ways, the most, when you read scripture, that God says to you, this is who I am. This is how I am. Psalm 119, 68 says about his goodness, you are good and teach me your statutes. Psalm 38, 4, 34, 8 says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. And you will find dozens and scores of scripture verses that say, I'm good, God says. God is good. I'm good. This is how he describes himself. And he is, God is able, is all over the Bible. Like as he talks about it, someone put it together this way, God is able to make you stand. God's able to establish you. God's able to keep you from falling, it says in Jude 24. God's able to make all grace abound to you, it says in 2 Corinthians 9. God's able to keep that which, that which you committed to him in 2 Timothy 2. God's able to build you up, it says in Acts 20. God's able to save you to the uttermost, it says in Hebrews 7. And God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, it says in Ephesians chapter 3. And the third one is God is faithful. And that is all through Scripture. And the one that I love when it talks about God's faithfulness is Lamentations chapter 3. In a, in a book specifically called Lamentations, which is all about lament, because things weren't going great. And how do you lament? How do you go through decades and struggles when you get the good news and the bad news? And God says, I'm good, I'm able, and I'm faithful. And right in the middle of a book on Lamentations, on lamenting, it says this in Lamentations 3. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. I mean, that is how God has presented himself. Good, able, and faithful. That's his most prevalent ways. That's his, we, we think of all our gaffes as utter disasters. We don't like to talk about them. God takes Gaff and says, this, this is who I am. And he fixes all those for us, and he paints an unbelievable picture of our lives. And I just want to encourage us, because all of us could have come up and probably shared a story of your life or the last year of ups and downs, and you're like, what's God doing? How's he going to work this out? What's going to happen? I don't know. Has he abandoned me? Has he left me? This seems like a major Gaff God it seems like you've really blown it this time in my life. How's this going to work out? I just want you to hear this story. I'm just going to read it. As you think about God's goodness, his ability, and his faithfulness. Back in 1921, 
a missionary couple named David and Svea Flood went with their two-year-old son from Sweden to the heart of Africa, to what was then called the Belgian Congo. They met up with another young Scandinavian couple, the Ericsons, and the four of them sought God for direction. In those days of much tenderness, devotion, and sacrifice, they felt led by the Lord to go out from the main mission station and take the gospel to a remote area. This was a huge step of faith at the village of Nadorla, they were rebuffed by the chief, who would not let them enter his town for fear of alienating the local gods. The two couples opted to go half a mile up the slope and build their own mud huts. They prayed for a spiritual breakthrough, but there was none. The only contact with the villagers was a young boy who was allowed to sell them chickens and eggs twice a week. Svea Flood, a tiny woman of only four foot eight inches tall, decided that if this was the only African she would, could talk to, she would try to lead the boy to Jesus. She succeeded, but there were no other encouragements. Meanwhile, malaria continued to strike on, members of the little band one after another. In time, the Ericsons decided that they had had enough suffering and left to return to the central mission station. David and Svea Flood remained near Nadorla to go on alone. Svea found herself pregnant in the middle of the primitive wilderness. When the time came for her to give birth, the village chief softened enough to allow a midwife to help her. A little girl was born whom they named Anya. The delivery, however, was exhausting, and Svea Flood was already weak from bouts of malaria. The birth process was a heavy blow to her stamina, and she lasted only 17 days. Inside David Flood, something snapped in that moment. He dug a crude grave, buried his 27-year-old wife, and took his children back down the mountain to the mission station. Giving his newborn daughter to the Ericsons, he snarled, I'm going back to Sweden. I've lost my wife, and I obviously can't take care of this baby. God has ruined me. With that, he headed for the port, rejecting not only his calling, but God himself. Within eight months, both the Ericsons were stricken with a mysterious malady and died within days of each other. The baby was then turned over to some American missionaries who adjusted her Swedish name to Aggie and eventually brought her to the United States at the age of three. This family loved the little girl and was afraid that if they tried to return to Africa, some legal obstacles might separate her from them. So they decided to stay in their home country and switch from missionary work to a pastoral ministry. And that is how Aggie grew up in South Dakota as a young woman. She attended North Central Bible College in Minneapolis, where she met and married a young man named Dewey Hurst. Years passed, and the Hurst enjoyed a fruitful ministry. Aggie gave birth first to a daughter, then a son. In time, her husband became president of a Christian college in the Seattle area, and Aggie was intrigued to find so much Scandinavian heritage there. One day, a Swedish religious magazine appeared in her mailbox. She had no idea who had sent it, and she couldn't read the words, but as she turned the pages, a photo stopped her cold. There in a primitive setting was a grave with a white cross, and on the cross were the words, Svea Flood. Aggie jumped in her car and went straight to a college faculty member who she knew could translate the article. What does this say, she demanded. The instructor summarized the story. 
It's about missionaries who had come to Nadora long ago, the birth of a white baby, the death of a young mother, the one little African boy who had been led to Christ, and how after the whites had all left, the boy had grown up and finally persuaded the chief to let him build a school in the village. The article said that gradually he won all his students to Christ. The children led their parents to Christ, and even the chief became a Christian. Today, there were 600 Christians in that one village, all because of the sacrifice of Savea Flood. For the Hearst's 25th wedding anniversary, the college presented them with a gift of a vacation to Sweden. There, Aggie sought to find her real father, an old man now. David Flood had remarried, fathered four more children, and generally dissipated his life with alcohol. He had recently suffered a stroke, still bitter. He had one rule in his family, never mention the name of God, because God took everything from me. After an emotional reunion with her half-brothers and half-sister, Aggie brought up the subject of seeing her father. The others hesitated. You can't talk to him, they replied, even though he's very ill now, but you need to know, or you can talk to him, even though he's ill, but you need to know that whenever he hears the name of God, he flies into a rage. Aggie was not deterred. She walked into the squalid apartment with bottles of alcohol everywhere and approached the 73-year-old man lying in a rumpled bed. Papa, she said sensitively. He began to turn to cry. Anya, he said, I never meant to give you away. It's all right, Papa, she replied, taking him gently in her arms. God took care of me. The man instantly stiffened and the tears stopped. God forgot all of us. Our lives have been like this because of him. He turned his face back to the wall. Aggie stroked his face and then continued undaunted. Papa, I've got a little story to tell you, and it's a true one. You didn't go to Africa in vain. Mama didn't die in vain. The little boy you won to the Lord grew up to win the whole village to Jesus Christ. The one seed you planted just kept growing and growing. Today there are 600 African people serving the Lord because you are, you are faithful to the call of God in your life. Papa, Jesus loves you. He has never hated you. The old man turned back to look in his daughter's eyes. His body relaxed. He began to talk, and by the end of the afternoon, he had come back to, to the God he had resented for so many decades. Over the next few days, father and daughter enjoyed warm moments together. Aggie, Aggie and her husband had to return to, Af to America. Within a few weeks, David Flood had gone into eternity. A few years later, the Hearst were attending a high-level evangelism conference in London, England where a report was given from the nation of Zaire, the former Belgian Congo. The superintendent of the national church, representing some 110,000 baptized believers, spoke eloquently of the gospel spread in his nation. Aggie could not help going to ask him afterward if he had ever heard of David and Svea Flood. Yes, madam, the man replied in French, his words then being translated into English. It was Savea Flood who led me to Jesus Christ. I was the boy who brought food to your parents before you were born. In fact, to this day, your mother's grave and her memory are honored by all of us. He embraced her in a long, sobering hug. Then he continued, you must come to Africa to see, because your mother is the most famous person in our history. In time, that is exactly what Aggie Hurst and her husband did. They were welcomed by cheering throngs of villagers. She even met the man who had been hired by her father many years before to carry her back down the mountains in a hammock cradle. 
The most dramatic moment, of course, was when the pastor escorted Aggie to her mother's white cross for herself. She knelt in the soil to pray and give thanks. Later that day, in the church, the pastor read from John 12, 24. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. He then followed with Psalm 126, 5. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. That is a true story of um, Aggie Hurst, who died in 1986, but that's the reality of her life. Could you imagine her mom, who shared the gospel with this little kid, and her dad, and they, when they left, he even said, and another thing I read, that he goes, I, we, we, we reached one boy, and we don't even know if he really understood what we were talking about. And he thought his life was a complete waste, but all along, God had been tracing it and making it into something great. He did come back to the Lord, because that is how, who God is. God is good, God is able, and God is faithful. And because we are in Christ, we receive all of those things. In the midst of a normal year, when we don't get to just hang out, eat breakfast, and see each other, and all other things going on in our lives, it can be easy for us to forget that what we think are gaffes may not be gaffes at all. It is maybe God's goodness, God's ability, and God's faithfulness working. And it is working. And that's what he wants to do for us um, this year. And as we close this service and think about 2022 as a church, um, there will be real gaffes. I'm still a bad golfer. Uh, things will still happen. But ultimately what is always true is God is good God is able, and God is faithful. And that thing right now that you're thinking, I don't know what God's going to do in this. It feels like God's really messed up. He, he's actually, in his goodness, ability, and faithfulness, he, he's working out a beautiful picture for us. If we will just accept it, trust it, and believe him. And all of the hope that we have is found in Jesus Christ. All the promises of God are yes and Jesus Christ, which are, is our hope because he is our way maker. Take that with you as a church, as individuals, and let's encourage us, encourage each other with that for the rest of this year. That God is a way maker. He's good, he's able, and he's faithful, and he will get us through. Let's pray.